so, oh, that was loud. Uh, who remembers what Ben's been um, talking about, the new um, series that we are looking at? Anyone? Deeper and stronger, deeper roots, exactly right. And even David's little testimony was exactly along the lines of what I feel to speak about this morning. Um, I am going to talk on the topic of obedience. Um, So what do you think when you hear that word? I know for me it's probably, I think, oh, I have to do something that somebody's telling me. And usually it's something I don't want to do. Does anyone else think like that? Obey your mum and dad. I'm, I'm sure you always do. Or don't do that, do this. But, you know, the Bible talks a lot about obedience. There's sort of hundreds of scriptures. So I've just picked a few. The first one is the scripture that Ben's been talking about, which is, um, um, who remembers the the scripture, the main scripture? Psalm 1, thank you. Um, So if you've got your Bibles or your phones, I haven't got any PowerPoints. It tells us, oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit every season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. Obviously, this is talking about a lifestyle of um, following and knowing, delighting in the law of the Lord, which is his scriptures. His, this is the word of of. God to us, meditating on it. So it's not just reading it every now and then, it's actually making it part of your life. And then in um, Psalm 119, to be honest, you could read that whole um, chapter is massive and it's filled with scriptures about the word of God. The first two verses, verse 1 and 2, joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Joyful are those who obey his laws and search for him with all their hearts. And then in um, James chapter 1, verse 22 to 25, it tells us don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror You see yourself, you walk away and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Such a powerful concept the scriptures teach us about obedience, but it's it's a hard thing to get our head around. And I think what is obedience? Often... We have a narrow concept of the word obedience. Because, you know, when your mum is telling you to do this or to do that, to put your iPhone away and don't get it out after 8 o'clock, Gracie, she's wanting you to obey her. So you can either deceitfully hide it and do the wrong thing or you can do what she says. And I am convinced Gracie is the model of obedience. But that's not... What it, that's not all that it means. 
And I believe to really understand what the Bible wants us to about this, we need to broaden our understanding. Obedience isn't just a random action. It's not just one standalone action. And this will blow your mind. Obedience is not just about right and wrong. Obedience is a lifestyle. It's our response to God. Obedience is the outworking of our dependence on our loving Heavenly Father. You know, um, we look at the life of, of Jesus and his life, as you, I'm sure all of you would know, was lived in complete obedience to the Father. He only did what he saw the Father doing. He only did the will of God. And there's multiple scriptures that clearly state that. I only do what I, only do what I see the Father doing. And in Hebrews chapter 5, there's a powerful scripture that actually really has confused me, but I think I will just have a tiny bit of insight into it at the moment. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, it tells us, although he was a son, talking about Jesus, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Now, if we look at obedience as, Gracie, don't go on your phone after eight o'clock, this doesn't make any sense, this scripture, because Jesus did not sin. He never went on his phone after eight o'clock. He was good. He never had to work through a rebellious spirit that just did the wrong thing. So when this scripture talks about he learned obedience, he's not talking about right and wrong. And then further on, the, um, verse 9, it uses the word perfect. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation. The word perfect here means complete. It, it um, implies finishing a full course of training or an education. And I believe the way that I understand this passage now is that Jesus had to learn how to live in obedience by being obedient. He had to learn to discern the voice of God, to work out what was God and what wasn't. He had to learn to obey God in the everyday things of life. He had to learn to trust his father the hard way, the human way like all of us. He wasn't just born and was instantly completely trusting and had this intimate relationship with God. God spoke to him clearly. Maybe he was, but I don't think that was how it is. I think this scripture tells us that he had to learn to walk in obedience. He had to learn to hear the voice of God. He had to learn to depend on God every day of his life. He learned to respond out of his trust in his father and out of his relationship with his father. And we'll investigate that just a little bit further. I mean, a bit more, just a bit further on. But the way, a really good way to explain this concept of learning obedience is um, thinking about an anaesthetist. You guys would know I'm an anaesthetic nurse. I work uh, uh, alongside anaesthetic doctors all, 
all day long. And just so you know, from the beginning, anaesthetists are doctors. They're not just some other. I get people ask me, is he a doctor? Yes, he's a doctor. Um, you know, you do medical school. No, you go through high school, you graduate, yay, you apply to become a doctor. It's a hard process to get in. You've got to be really smart and have a lot of mental capacity and emotional capacity. You get in and then you study for six years to become a doctor. You graduate and it's like, yay, I'm a doctor. Yay, call me doctor. You start your job as an intern. That is a year from the pit of hell. You have no social life. You have no sleep, you get treated like dirt by the nurses, you are by other doctors, by patients. You get to do stuff that you, could, you didn't believe you would have to do. Trust me, the life of an intern, you need to pray for them every day because <laughs> it is hard. You graduate, you become a, an RMO, which is a resident medical officer. Most doctors do that for two, three, four years until they can get into a training program and then the real training begins. And then so you apply to become an anaesthetist. You have to sit and <clears throat> an application with heaps of people. Most of them get rejected so they have to apply again and again and then finally you get in <clears throat> and that is five years of study and work. And you have to also pass two massive exams. So they start, and I think it's about two years in they, they have to sit an exam. They start studying two years before their exam. And they study every day for hours. They have no social life. Well, maybe every now and then. They work ridiculous hours. They get a little bit more pay than an RN, not a whole lot more. And then they sit their exam, which costs them thousands of dollars interstate. So they have to pay to fly interstate, thousands of dollars. Most, probably, probably um, 30 to 40% of them fail that exam. It's expected. So they have to do it again. This goes on and on. Finally, they pass and then they do the next part of their training, which is another three years. And then they have to do another exam and they have to pay for that. And then finally... I don't know how many years later, they pass. They're a consultant anaesthetist. They know what they're doing. They have learnt to be an anaesthetist. But wait, no, because I've worked with graduate anaesthetists and they're very good, but I've worked with an anaesthetist that has been doing it for 20 years and they're better. They know a little bit more because there's little fine tuning that you have to do. You have to have this insight and that takes years and years and years. And to me, that Help me understand what learning obedience is a bit about. It's not something you just, okay, I'm obedient now. I'm not going to do the wrong thing. It's a, it's a process that takes a long, long time. And in fact, that scripture says that Jesus learnt it almost up until, well, I believe he was learning it on the cross. Obedience is our response to God. I forgot my book. I pulled this book out, it's about 100 years old, Discipline the Glad Surrender. Oh, sounds horrid. I want to read you a scripture. This is written by, not a scripture, a passage. Elizabeth Elliot, who was married to a, a missionary. I, I, I won't go into her. But in this book, she says these words. Jesus, in response to the will of the Father, demonstrated what it means to be fully human when he took upon himself the form of a man and in so 
doing voluntarily and gladly chose both dependence and obedience. Humanity for us, as for Christ, means both dependence and obedience. The unwillingness on the part of men and women to acknowledge their helpless dependence is a violation of our creatureliness or our we're the created ones. The unwillingness to be obedient is a violation of our humanity and both are declarations of independence. You see, the battle for obedience is the battle for position. The issue of supremacy, of dominion, The battle for obedience is the battle of who is in control. To live a life of obedience, we need to embrace the truth that God is God and we are not. We need to understand who we are and who God is. And you know, the Lord's Prayer is just the epitome of our position in relation to God. Let's all quote it together because we all know it. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Living a life of obedience is choosing to let God be God. He is the father and we are the child. He is the source and we are dependent on him. He is the beginning and the end. I am the creature, the created one, the child. Obedience is the crux of the matter. Adam and Eve disobeyed God Back in the beginning, they were the first humans to sin, to bring death into the world. Remember, for them, it was all about obedience. God told them not to eat that of the fruit of that tree. Someone else suggested maybe they could. So they relied on their own logic and understanding and they chose to disobey what God had had said to them. Remember we said that um, um, Jesus learned obedience. He knew God's heart. His relationship, the father was intimate. He'd spend a lot of time with him. And this had come to such a point that when he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted, in the, he chose to obey because he had learned to obey God in the small things within his heart. He had learned to trust in God. Obedience is not about whether to buy this house or that, whether God wants you to be a missionary or a movie star, whether to take this job or that one, whether to come to church on a Sunday or sleep in. That is not what obedience, that is not what we need to focus on when we think about obedience the battle for obedience is waged within our hearts and our mind and our spirit obedience is about trusting in God's love you know we believe God is love and he he is incapable of not being loving he's not just a 
loving person who does loving acts. He is love. He is incapable of not being love. And he is, it is impossible for him not to do good for us. He is intrinsically love and his goodness is immeasurable. And this is really important that we understand this. Because if we don't fully believe that God is good and that he really, really loves us, we will struggle to obey. Psalm 23 is incredible. You know, this is one of the most well-known psalms and I've read it since I was very small and I'm now very old. But every time I read it, there's something new in there. There's something incredible and I'm going to read it again just so that you can see again how good God is and how he's got your whole life, every facet of it, worked out. He knows you struggle with tiredness. He knows you have mental health battles. He knows life is difficult. He knows there's times when it's dark and it looks like there's no light. He knows that. He knows there's times of blessing. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honour to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honour me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely, goodness and unfailing love will be part of my life. No, will pursue me, will run after me all the days of my life and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. You know, obedience, a life of obedience flows out of our trust in his love and his goodness. You know, our trust in God, the degree that we know God loves us and is good It dictates our actions. It takes faith. For the Christian, I believe faith, trust and uh, and obedience are inextricably linked. I don't think you can have one without the other. You know, obedience is the legs of faith. It is belief in action. It is a demonstration of faith. If you say you believe, but you don't act that out in your daily life, then you need to go back. God, help me believe. Help me believe. The wonderfully exciting thing about trust is that it's all about the person you are choosing to trust. It's not about you or me. If you know that God is love, that God is good, that he wants the best for you, it doesn't matter about your opinion of yourself. When you put your trust in God, you're not putting your trust in your ability to trust or your whatever. You're putting your trust in God who is incomprehensibly good, whose whose love is immeasurable. And that's the incredible thing about this whole thing is it's not about you and me. It's all about him. It's all about how good he is. If you know God loves you, that he considers you very precious, that his heart is only to do good for you, then your actions reflect this. 
You know, it's in the little things in our heart that we learn obedience. God asks us to forgive. You know, this is actually where the rubber hits the road. The little things within our heart that nobody probably even knows. The little battles that are going on in our heart. God asks us to forgive. The Bible clearly tells us we need to forgive. But it's hard to forgive, especially when you've been badly hurt. And you probably all have been badly, I've been badly hurt. And it's really hard to forgive, to really forgive. But when we hold on to our feelings of hurt and hold back forgiveness, we are choosing our own way of dealing with things, not God's. And God tells us not to worry. And this is a big one. The Bible says, be anxious for nothing. It's not an option, you know, this, this is a nice suggestion. God clearly tells us, do not worry. But that is hard. It's really hard, especially when it's a learned way of managing our stress. But when we hold on to thoughts of worry and allow them to dominate our thinking and dictate our behaviours, we are choosing to lean on our own thinking, not God's. And I know this is really hard. And God knows this is really hard. But he loves you so much. You are his special treasure. And I felt God give me this picture to illustrate how he feels about us learning, to, learning obedience. And it's like learning to walk. You know, when a toddler who's never walked before pulls himself up on a table and they do that, they start to pull around on furniture and they grab your trouser leg and stand up and it's like, yay. But when he, it's the day and he's, he's pulled himself up and his mum and his dad are sort of standing just a little bit away off, calling him to come to him. Maybe they're, they're holding a toy or a nice red strawberry or something that he really uh, 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 wants. They're encouraging him to do something he's never done before. You know, God is our parent and we are the toddler. And God is encouraging us to live in the joy of a life filled with love, forgiveness, the peace, the freedom that comes from not holding on to pain. He's encouraging us to daily walk in the peace that the Bible says is ours without the burden of anxiety or fear. And he holds these out for us and we want them. Who doesn't want to live in love and joy and peace with no fear. But like the toddler, we have to walk to where this is being offered. We have to make the actions that lead us down the path to what we want, what we need. You know, this toddler has a, cho a choice. He doesn't know how to walk. He's never done it before. Or maybe he tried it yesterday or the day before and he fell and hurt his knee so he doesn't want to again. But he's standing there. Should he try again today? Should he? He wants what is being offered. He wants the toy. And in the past, he's always crawled, either on his knees or on his belly, a commando crawl. He's always crawled to get what he's needed. Or he sat there and cried and cried and cried until the parent goes, oh, my goodness sake, just have that and stop. <laughs> and that's worked. But today, for some reason, he wants to walk. He stands there trying to decide. We've all 
seen that, haven't we? If you've got young kids or had young kids or had anything to do with young kids, they stand there and they're like wobbling and like, am I going to? Am I? Am I? We're the same. We want what is being offered, but we don't know how to walk. We don't know how to do what, is being, what we're being asked to do. All we know is what we've always done. A stab of pain reminds us of a hurt from someone in the past. Should we let it go and forgive them today? Oh, maybe I'll just hold on to it a little bit longer. Maybe I'll just delve, um, just, what's the word, swim in my little pool of self-pity because that actually makes me feel a bit better. You know, after that I do feel a bit better. Maybe I'll do that. And it has worked. Or maybe we hear a news report about something really bad happening and at the moment I don't listen to the news very much because it's just all bad. But maybe you hear something and it triggers anxiety. And within minutes we find ourselves worrying about a lot more than just what's on the news. And right then we have a choice. Like the toddler, do we let go Give our worry to God in prayer like the Bible tells us to. Trust him with the outcome. And to some of us, I'm being honest here, that seems as unachievable as a little toddler trying to take his first step. You don't know how. You've tried and it hasn't worked. You literally don't know how to worry. You don't know how to give your anxiety to God and walk away with his peace. Back to our toddler, for some reason today, this toddler, poised, he, takes, he puts his foot out and he takes his first step. Miraculously, something he's never done before. And what do his parents do? Go, thank goodness, for goodness sake, I've been waiting for months for you to do this. No, they go, yay, come on, come on, you can do it, come here, come on, come on. They encourage him. They yell, they clap their hands, they, they do anything to help him. If the dog comes bustling in, oh, don't do that. Or his, his, um, um, his brother, they'll stop, they'll stop anything from coming to let their little kid take another step. You know, God is the same. When we look to God, before we take that first step of whatever obedience he's asking us, his grace is poised, ready to come flooding over us, enabling us. This is the thing we forget as Christians. God gives us grace. He gives us grace to do what we can't do in ourselves. We have to take the step, but then his grace comes and enables us. And when we fall, because we will fail, we will get it wrong, we will make mistakes, he picks us up like the parent of the toddler. When the toddler falls, the parent doesn't go, oh, oh you loser. He doesn't. Maybe he does. Did you ever do that? You rush to them and you go, come on, get up, get up. And you help them. And God is the same. He stands again just without, just out of reach so that we have to walk in faith. Because remember, walking Obedience is the legs of faith. When we walk by faith in trust and obedience, his grace enables us to take step after step until we finally walk in his kingdom of peace, joy, love and goodness. They are not just things that, like carrots he's dangling. 
that you might one day glimpse. They are what God wants for your every day. To wake up, to, if the anxiety or the worry comes or the pain from hurt, to give it to him and he literally helps you to let it go and he gives you peace and love. We just need to choose obedience, learning to walk moment by moment in obedience with the Father. We need to choose to trust, to trust in his love and his goodness. It's not about us, it's about him, his character. We need to let God be God and me, you, we be the children. We be the ones who are dependent on him. And as we do this, his grace comes flooding in, carrying us, supporting us and enabling us to walk where we once didn't know how. I want you to bow your heads in prayer. Because if you're like me, you haven't walked in obedience. And even if you have, no, let's be honest, there's probably everyone in this room has areas in their life where they are struggling to walk in obedience. And it's not about condemnation, it's not about right and wrong, it's about growing, it's about learning. And that's the way God wants it. He doesn't look at you in condemnation. Maybe you're battling with anxiety, it's dominating your life, it's, it, it controls your thoughts, gives you ulcers or whatever. I know anxiety, it's a well-known friend of mine, so I know what it's like. But God is encouraging you like a parent with a toddler to take those steps of obedience, of trust, of choosing his way of dealing with your stress and anxiety. Maybe there's other areas in your life, unforgiveness, It's hard to forgive. It's really hard to forgive, to really forgive. And I know unforgiveness, but God promises that when you ask him to help you forgive, to learn his way, to learn obedience in the area of forgiveness, his grace comes and he helps. And it takes time so if there's areas right now, I just pray that the Holy Spirit would help you. Maybe just talk to Him about those areas. You know, the incredible thing too about a journey of obedience is there's no sort of start and you have to have it done by a certain time. It's a journey. It's a timeline. You can start a new um, effort to learn obedience at any time. Holy Spirit, I just pray for every person in this room. God, you offer us such an incredible walk in this world with you. You offer us all we need to get through our daily battles, the difficulties that we face. God, you know what it's like and you've given us what we need to walk with you. God, you are always there. We have never walked alone. You are faithful. 
And I pray right now, Holy Spirit, just help each person. Help them to learn obedience. Help them to learn to trust you. Give them a glimpse of your incredible love, your tangible love. God, that they will choose to walk with you, to walk to what you are giving them, to walk in obedience. Holy Spirit, just touch each one, I pray.